Trans Story is an episodic podcast where each episode features an individual story from the transgender community. Season one, I sit down with my friends, friends of friends, and people in my social circles that I've gotten to know over the years to really sit down, have a heart-to-heart one-on-one, and discuss what it means to be transgender, what that experience is like, with the intent to hopefully inspire and educate others so that we can all be better humans. And welcome to episode four of Trans Story. My guest today is a longtime friend, Kinsey. Hello. Welcome. So, Kinsey, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today for episode four. This has been really exciting. All the episodes so far have been great, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. We, I, I don't, it, it's like funny, everybody we've been talking to, I don't know all the the timeline exactly, but we met probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. Was that sound right? It was the early 2000s because I moved to LA like um, right around uh, 2001, I believe. We had some friends in common, I think. Do you remember exactly how we met? Because I don't. I believe it was John Paul. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was our friend John Paul as well. And I think that uh, you and he, maybe you hadn't started uh, music project yet, but we were all. De- uh, I was DJing at Vermont. Is is uh, what was happening? Vermont defunct LA club now. That's right. That was such a great spot. Oh yeah, that was such a nice. Was it like Fridays? I think at the Vermont. Yeah, yeah, totally. There was a handful of people that kind of rotated through there, and there was always an interesting cast of characters that were hanging out at that bar. It was great. Definitely. We met then, and um, at that point, you identified as male. You were a DJ and a musician, and pretty heavy on the scene. I think we were all like going to the same shows and like going out yes. in the same places, and like you said, hanging out at places that you were playing and stuff. And those are really good times. Then, you know, we were both pursuing music pretty pretty heavily, I think, at that point as well, too. Yeah. And um, at what point did you and John Paul actually start a project? Oh, wow. Um, we started uh, doing Men of Leisure probably, um, you know, on, honestly, I think, I think um, Vermont started like 2002, 2003. And um, by the time I'd done that for a year... Um, uh, Jean Paul and I started a project, so that was that was probably uh, 2003, 2004. I would expect. I don't know exactly the passage of time, but I eventually moved downtown and uh, was living down there. And then you were DJing downtown at a hotel as well. I forget it was it was this restaurant, this sandwich place. Um, well, no, that was up on the. You were doing stuff up oh, on the roof. Oh, you too, mean oh, you so, mean the, yeah. the standard? <laughs> yes, yes. I was DJing at the standard. Yeah, that was that yeah, was yeah. quite the gig when it was first open. I think when it first opened downtown, or relatively within its first few years, and it was kind of a, an eventful place that everybody could go to. I don't even think there was a grocery store down there yet. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was around that time period, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a distinct memory of, uh, I think I'd been there to see you perform and just kind of hung out. I don't think I hung out very long. It was like an hour or something. I think I probably had to work the next day or something, but I just kind of popped by to say hi. And then later that night, I think that was the time that you, you either texted me first or you just called me. I don't remember. You may not either. But uh, that was kind of the moment where you said, hey, I think I might be trans. Do you remember that? Yeah, actually, um, it wasn't It wasn't while I was DJing, but it, uh, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't like in the middle of a set. No, you, it was later. <laughs> uh, it was like you'd, you were yeah. finished. You were done. Yeah, you were, you were yeah. at home. You went home. Yeah, yeah it was really, you know, um, something, I, I don't know how much you, you factored this into your notes, but, you know, one of the big things for me is that, um, you know, I've struggled with bipolar a lot. Right. 
and um, you know, so so that was one of the in retrospect, that was one of the earliest inklings I said to anyone about uh, about it. And I remember it very specifically because like we were <laughs> it was like so back in the day, it was like AOL instant messenger, I think. Like <laughs> literally it was AIM. It probably yeah. was. And I had been digging around the internet and I found this picture of like um some gamer chick who like had transitioned. And I was like, I'm gonna look like that when when I transition. I remember it really specifically, like, and uh, you know, it that was probably the most um, forward sentence that had come out of my mouth and would come out of my mouth for years about my transition. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I had said. I think in the very, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I was like the first person that you mentioned that to. You know, because and I don't. Yeah, it it, it definitely during that conversation was the first, and and I hadn't, I didn't mention it to anyone really since then. I I um in, until I transitioned, like you know, nearly a dec- decade later. Yeah, it was quite some time later. I remember that, and I I remember, you know, and and to this day, I feel very honored to be that person. One common thread I've learned through all of the interviews that I've done, and even the conversations I've had outside of the podcast, is that. That's a big step. It, it was a big step, but also um, the reason why I mentioned bipolar is because I was, um, and and you you know this, I'm I'm sure from you know being in proximity to me that you know I had like numerous episodes, and I was I was uh, not entirely mentally stable at the time. I, I recall like, you know, like whatever was going on, and also also that that a uh, gig, that aforementioned gig was really stressful, and uh, I was I was struggling in in um, other ways because of that. You know, just typical DJ Vice type stuff. Let's talk about that for a minute too, because if you are bipolar and then you have this sort of layered in there on top of that, I would imagine that could contribute to the amount of time it took to really kind of make that realization formalized. You know. Well, it was really interesting because. Um, for for all the the deficit and all the um, difficult things that bipolar has introduced into my life, um, it as it turned out, it was only when I was really really manic that I could even approach the idea of um, you know transitioning because there was so much shame associated with it. And that's another recurring theme that we've talked about quite a bit, which is hopefully these days becoming less and less. And, you know, one of our major purposes is to sort of shed light on this, to have that relatability for anyone else that happens to be going through that. You know, having gone down the long journey that you have, like, what's some advice that you would give somebody that might be listening that would be, you know, bipolar or not, or just wherever, whatever mental state that they happen to be in. But what, what's some advice you give people that, you know, may just be super confused or lost? Well, you know, um, it's it's a growing process. It it's something that it's it's very hard to um, initiate the transition because um, gender gender is a tricky thing, as you would imagine. It's it's something that we take for granted. So so when when you're considering like altering your your gender, I mean, I had so many misconceptions about, you know, like what it would be like or what I was going to be like at the end of my journey, or is there an end to this journey or whatever, you know? Um, so it's the most important thing that I can say is that, you know what, it's all true, the bad stuff and the good stuff. But 
the at the end of the day, the thing that kept me going is that I would see these pictures. Like people people post their transition videos all the time on YouTube, or you know they show they show pictures of like here was me like you know in my case it was six years ago. So here was me six years ago, and you know I have this glum look on my face, and then. You know, now, well, presumably I'd be smiling. Honestly, there's a lot of pictures of me looking glum because I'm just kind of like a somber person sometimes. Um, but but usually I would find these pictures of people's transitions and um, they'd be smiling a lot, a lot right. more than the earlier pictures. And uh, that really, really encouraged me because, um, you know, like... Um, the thing, the thing was, is that even though I was only able to admit to myself that I needed to transition or that I wanted to transition, um, uh, when when I was manic, uh, it was also just um, when all the drama of suppressing it would also come out. So it would come out in this absolute. Um, can can I curse? By the way, absolutely. It would come out in this absolute fucking shitstorm, <laughs> and. Um, that was just the way that what's well, um, bottled up for so long, you know, suppressed. Yeah, and and honestly, um, you know, like the, the the other thing is, is that the journey itself is such a for for me, it was a psychological uh, detective um, experiment. <laughs> uh, I you know I was like. 37 when I started. So it was really late in the game for me, you know? And, um, and I really had to, uh, dig super, super deep and figure out, you know, like, why was, why did I suppress this for so long? You know, like what really, or when, when did it really start first occurring to me? And, and it just, you know, I had to basically, uh, reconstruct my personal narrative is is what what happened and i think a lot of trans people do that where they're like you know like okay some some of us are like um you know well when i was three years old i wanted to wear a dress in my case that's not the the story that i had like i i felt like much more androgynous as a child and i think that had to do with a lot of um you know surrounding trauma with my parents and stuff like that um, so I wasn't really conscious of my gender, but then, you know, as I got closer to puberty, I had to make a choice and then, you know, or it wasn't a conscious choice. It was more like the, you know, the box that I got put in, but, um, you know, by the time I was in my twenties, I was bucking against that for sure, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't very conscious of like, I'm a woman or I want to be a woman. And even now, even now, like I, I've much more, I'm much more comfortable with like a non-binary um, identity in addition to like, I, you know, yeah. I think, I think trans feminine really describes me because, you know, I didn't start early enough and I wasn't culturally acclimated enough where personally I can ide identify as, you know, like, purely feminine or purely female. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a mixture. And um, although last time I visited, I wasn't able to see you. I, th I think if you were to see me in person, you would gather that. Yeah. And I, I, we'd even talk about it too. It's really more of a spectrum. You know, it's sort of like at what, where, and, and that may shift and change with some folks too. Not And we've identified that as many different people that are trans, they have each have an equal story that is completely unique and different unto themselves. And like, so going back to when you were like in your late teens, early 20s, did that thought pop into your head or what exactly was going on? I mean, it was obviously internalized at that moment. What was that like? 
I mean, uh, I'm I'm just going to be I'm I'm a very off the cuff, you know, like um, brutally honest person. So I really don't shy away from from you know the the sexy stuff. Like, um, well, there's a few things. You know, the, I mean, honestly, the first really super positive representation of a transgender person that I ever encountered, uh, especially for me, was Wendy Carlos. And that was when the concept was most introduced favorably because actually I think my stepdad had switched on Bach and I had like a, a bio. Um, and given it was written in the 60s, it was really respectful. Later on, what, I mean, what can you say about Rocky Horror Picture Show? Well, it's super campy, but it doesn't exactly, in retrospect, I read a great article about talking about consent relative to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I, I think is a, you know, a wonderful thing to talk about relative to Rocky Horror Picture Show, honestly. Um, it wasn't necessarily the most flattering portrayal or what what I wanted, but, you know, at the, at the end, I had to embrace that that kind of uh, freakdom, you know? Right. But, I mean, honestly, um, I, for a while, was really, really addicted to transgender porn. And uh, it was kind of how I normalized, um, normalized the body type, for right. me, I think it it really helped me see like this is you know when you when you take hormones when you do surgeries like this is this is where things are at. That was probably the most positive thing that came out of it. But unfortunately, um, my conception of how I was going to transition was was also informed by this porn, which is why you know like uh, we don't use certain terms that are commonly um, used in porn to describe us. Yeah. You know. Uh, b because of the, the negativity associated with it. But at the time, it was the only outlet I had, and it was the only thing I can conceive of, and I was just inexplicably drawn to it because I had a very limited um, kind of pinhole uh, view of it. Although I did meet another uh, transgender uh, uh, person who is a, a friend of a friend, and um, she also helped inform, like, you know, created more of a a real based, you know, like the reality of it a little bit, but I wasn't, I wasn't super close with her and it took me a long time to acknowledge who I was and, and a long time to feel really, really comfortable being around not even transgender people as much as non-binary people, right. you know, like, like people, people who, who don't exist on clearly on one side of the spectrum or another. And, um, you know, a lot of transgender people fall into that category, and it it's it's an uncomfortable and scary place to be in today's society. In in some cases, yeah, and and I mean, you are an artist first and foremost, so it's like this also sort of plays into your creative outlets as well, too, because you know that's a something that is sort of bearing your soul in a different format. You know, it's like you're writing music, you're putting stuff out there. This is true. Can you speak a little bit about like? how this uh, coming to the realization of being trans has impacted your creativity? You know, like, I mean, I've, I've you know just been kind of touching upon some of the negatives with bipolar and, you know, like the, the kind of stigma of, of not being non-binary, but like the happiest thing, oh my God, shopping for clothes as a transgender woman feels so right and so comfortable for me. I don't understand why men don't wear dresses, honestly, because dress dresses are like, 
the simplest freaking thing you could. It's a t-shirt with a tail that looks nice and shapes your body. Right. And you know, like they're they're just so easy to wear. Why, you know, like with with everything being so utilitarian with men, like why aren't you wearing dresses? I don't understand it. And some do. Some do. Some do. Some do. Um, but it, they're really, uh, you know, I mean, dresses are one part of it. But you know, just like um, he, here's a great story. Uh, during the early 2000s, as a man, I was buying a lot of cotton poly blend, uh, really thin kind of plaid shirts from the 70s. Um, and, and for a while, it was really easy to find these at thrift stores. And, and then I couldn't find them anywhere, thrift stores, regular stores, whatever, you know, that kind of thin fabric that like vintage tees have, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, just thinner fabric. Right. And I was really attracted to that thin fabric. And then all of a sudden it was like, all I could find is these thick cotton polos everywhere, you know, like whatever. It just like, it was not the the texture of the kind of silkiness that I liked or whatever. And so I kind of assumed like, oh, you know, those manufacturing methods change and they don't make clothes like that anymore. <laughs> no, this is all girls clothes, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's the type of fabric that they use for that. Yeah. And I love it. And so, you know, like that, um, you know, makeup was the first thing that I really bonded with. Honestly, like I really considered the beginning of my transition the first time I put on lipstick um, and, and really, you know, like humbled myself to go to, uh, you know, like uh, um, you don't have them there, but Fred Meyer's like Kroger. Uh, go into a Fred Meyer and go to the... Um, you know, the cosmetics aisle and, and pick out a, a lipstick was tremendously humbling and continued to be, be that way for, for quite a while until I got used to like, you know, hey, this is who you are now. You need to do this. Well, and I would imagine that you always have a little bit of increased happiness with each discovery. You know, it's like I could even hear in your voice. So you're talking about the early days and sort of the darker times, but then it's like they're not necessarily devices, but they're discoveries more, I would say, that things that align better with how your mind and body connect. And like and just hearing you even talk about it, it's like a, a whole lighted up thing. And then that that definitely brings you to a happier place overall as just a human being. It takes a long time for things to become routine. So yeah, there's a lot of surprises along the way and a lot of things to experiment with. So so like, you know, makeup makeup and uh, clothing are very, you know, like I I love finding, you know, clothes that, that fit me and and um you know, make makeup itself is a little more tricky because, you know, like you know, I don't think eventually you like having to wear it or feeling like your femininity is bound to that. And I've definitely had those experiences where you know, it's very rare that I feel like going out without putting on some sort of concealer or, you know, at least some mascara and some lipstick or something like that. Um, so, you know, that it, it becomes kind of demanding after a while. And um, this is another reason why I identify as non-binary is because I'm like, you know what, um, I'm bipolar. I don't always have I don't I don't always wake up in a mood where I can give a hundred percent to the adoring public, you know? It it just doesn't <laughs> right. work like that. Um so so right. either I stay in or um, you know, like less makeup or, you know, like um maybe maybe my wardrobe is um not not quite as, you know, fabulous as I would want it to be. Um but but the the actual experience of like having got over all those hang ups and knowing that when I do have the energy, if I want to go out clubbing or something like that, I can look, you know, um at least 
such a way that I feel I feel good about myself and I feel good about my presentation. I feel like I have the power of femininity working for me. Right. Um, even even if I'm not perfectly feminine, I still you know understand enough of it and I've gotten over enough hangups where I'm comfortable. Well, and the, as you said, the transition started, I guess, officially, if you want to say, um, ex- externally, maybe. Um, back in uh was it six years ago so you had actually made a departure from la prior to that and Uh, moved to portland right (laughs) portland oregon yes yes and and portland was a much more comfortable place to transition honestly um i i uh i really i would not have been able to um uh I don't think transition in LA the way I needed to. I really needed a fresh start, and you know, uh, Portland, Oregon is is my hometown. It's also a great place to be queer. Uh, even though at first I was living in Gresham, and that's a suburb, and and uh, you know, it, I I survived, but I don't think you know I would I would survive the same way today for I think obvious reasons. Yeah, um, you know, like things have gotten a little bit different. But but where I live now, it's, it's extremely comfortable to be queer, and you know, like a lot of my friends are, you know, super queer, non-binary people, and I like it that way. That's what I was going to ask a little bit about the community there, because you know that seems to be a big help with everybody in all the parts of their journey of transition is the community, and and what's that like for you there in Portland? Well, you know. Um, I really, as I transitioned, um, I went from knowing predominantly males who were musicians to, you know, female and non-binary people almost exclusively. Um, So that that was a bit of a change, uh, quite a bit of a change, uh, but it's really helped inform me. I I don't have, you know, like a a super, I have a lot of acquaintances, but only a, a couple of people who, you know, like really I confide in. Um, uh, but nonetheless, the, the community here, um, especially the, uh, the drag and originally the burlesque community as well was really embraced me. And I still, I still get DJ gigs and, you know, there's, uh, there's an arcade kind of, uh, near where I live. Pinball is huge here. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah. It's so fun. Um, so, you know, like, uh, that, that's been, that's been really good that, you know, I did a DJ uh, gig there for a while and. You know, it, the thing is, is that it was at first it was really overwhelming to be like, "Hey, I'm me," and people are accepting me, and I would get all weepy about it, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, thank you, thank you for liking me." And I'm, oh, I love you guys. And, uh, I love, yeah. love you all. And, and now, now it's a little bit more like, well, you know, like I'm a person who has to deal with the same kind of uh, fickle social life that everyone else has. You know, I mean, it's just like dealing with people's dealing with people, and once the uh, shock and awe of the transition, you know, it has kind of worn off in the honeymoon period, which is more of like being blindsided by a train um, in some cases. Uh, once once that has, has become like, okay, now I'm on the train uh, and it's going and, you know, I, I, I can see the, you know, the fence posts going by and on a regular, at a regular pace, then I can make sense of things a lot more. Uh, and and uh, it's not quite as emotional. And to that end, I mean, like I can recall when you made that kind of formalized decision and started that process and journey, um, you sort of took to social media a bit too. And you were, you know, at least with your friends, I don't know exactly uh, everything, but I don't know how wide your scope was for, you know, we've, we've been friends for a long time, but like, what were some of the, you know, positive and negatives of, of kind of opening that up to the greater world at large via social media? Well, 
Um, you know, that, that's been really interesting. Social media has been a massive trip for me because I didn't get on Facebook until after I started my transition. So, you know, while most people were on Facebook by like, what, 2005, 2004 or something? Um, uh, I mean, it seemed like a lot of people I knew. Anyway, um, I, I had kind of eschewed it for like whatever reasons. And when I finally started my transition, I think the first year or two of my transition, I didn't get on Facebook either. And I, I, um, I, I was on Google plus actually. And, but I was journaling. I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I favored it for some reason. And there was a small transgender community there and, um, you know, like I, I would, uh, post lots of stuff and, um, you know, just be, uh, I, I, I tend to write a lot, like um, uh, writing writing music, but also writing prose and poetry is is a, a very important part of my expression. So so journaling this this dramatic uh, experience that I've had, and also keeping track of my bipolar too, because it's it's been woven throughout that I've had, you know, like um, transitioning helped me a lot with bipolar. It really did. Getting on hormones, feeling, you know, more well-adjusted absolutely helped me, but it did not rid me of, uh, you know, um, the entirety of the condition, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. so I, right. I journaled a lot about that sort of, uh, um, experience of, you know, being trans, being bipolar, you know, later on, um, one of my, uh, therapists would suggest that I was probably ADHD and, you know, in re- retrospect, that really uh, kind of fits the narrative as well. So, you know, I'm dealing with, uh, I've got a lot on my plate as far as uh, what, what's been assigned to me <laughs> as a human being. You know, everybody, every single person, trans or not, is all having a different journey in learning. And we never end, we never stop learning. You know, it just kind of continues. Yeah. And uh, and tell us a little bit about like the creative side, like within the music and stuff. Because I mean, I've always been a big fan of your work and oh, what you, you do, and incredibly talented. And it's such a wide array. I mean, you've done stuff from commercials to album tracks to you name it. I mean, you have a broad range. And um, what what are you doing currently? And like, you know, have you seen that sort of increase as you've become more comfortable with yourself? You know, it's really funny. Um, uh. Okay, be- before before I left LA, I was I was heavily involved with commercials, and um, I was doing a handful of remix projects, although not under you know my own name. I was I was co-producing for people, and and um, you know doing st- and then doing bootlegs for my um, for my DJ gigs, and DJing became very important to me. And you know when I moved, I, I had the resources to be like okay. I, fortunately, I had the, I didn't have to deal with uh, certain things because I was working with my parents. Um, when I moved here, there was, there was like um, I needed to work on a family business with them. So you know, basically, right. I was accountable to them, and they were they were very you know. I mean, my whole relationship to them throughout my transition has evolved, but you know, ultimately, um, I didn't have to deal with a lot of the coming out to work people pressures. It was just the coming out to parents, and then I work with the parents. Um, so, or with work with my parents. <laughs> um, the creative aspect. Uh, well, it was really interesting because there was all this other stuff. Like one of the first actual major steps I took to my transition is that about a year before I transitioned. I quit smoking and part of quitting smoking was like, well, if I'm going to transition, I need to take care of my body. Right. So, you know, that this is something I need to do for myself. And, um, 
but the interesting thing was smoking was so ingrained in my process. I don't know how often you came to my apartment. Like I'm sure you came over at least once or twice, but, um, I would chain smoke constantly while I was working. Um, and you know, like, uh, take breaks every, you know, 15 minutes and just pace around my house, smoking a cigarette, like figuring out what I was going to do. And it became very entwined into my creative process. So, so, um, after I quit smoking, uh, I kind of had a burst of creativity and then I really didn't write for a long time uh, until I started my transition. And then um, there, there was a combination of like, I wasn't motivated to write, but then also I was having technical difficulties with my studio. And then I was distracted with, you know, working with my parents, whereas before I I had, you know, like I was just doing music. So um, so that took a little bit of a backseat while you were taking care of other things. It, it did. It did. Um, but what's really interesting is that, you know, through throughout my transition, I've, I've come to a new point. The, the biggest thing that has impacted me recently was actually switching my psych med, uh, like getting my studio set up uh, because I, mo- I moved to a place where now I have a basement studio and it's much more, much more comfortable than anything I've ever had before. Um, so, so that, that was one thing, but then also recently I switched to psych med and um, I got a roommate and I have just been writing like I haven't in, Oh gosh, I don't know, like eight years or something. Um, oh well, that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. So my creativity is really, really perked up, and um, uh, you know, although although I did do um one album, I did uh, eight songs on an album that was released by uh, Brit Daly. Um, oh uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. She she self released this album, but it's absolutely freaking wonderful. I'm so proud of it. There's, um, the, there's a song in particular on there called make it right. Um, that's, uh, available on Spotify. I mean, the whole thing's on Spotify, but, um, it's called daydreams and movie scenes. And I did like, um, eight of 10 tracks on that. So, um, uh, make it right and move me are just excellent fun tracks. Those were two of the singles. Um, oh, that's awesome. I got to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good album. And then, then I did an album, uh, called girl material that's, that's on my SoundCloud, but I recently actually, um, like I said, technical difficulties and also bipolar difficulties, um, making, uh, backups, like not the biggest priority for me <laughs> at a point. Um, but I actually found, um, I believe most of the wave files for this, um, album called uh, Girl Material that I did, which was a series of instrumentals that um, kind of journaled my transition. And um, so so that that really, um, that's something I'm going to try to put out on my own label. And that, that's what I'm really immersed in musically right now. You definitely should. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, uh, get, getting the label ready and wanting to put out some, some kind of boutique vinyl and getting stuff on Spotify with the proper metadata and all that sort of stuff is, you know, becoming really important. Yeah. It's no small task. It's a lot of work as you know, that I know, and we all know, but, uh, but it's, 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 you know, we all are compelled to do it. And, and I think like, you know, sharing all the different parts of ourselves, you know, and all the different parts of inspiration, it's like, there's definitely, I mean, there's always been heart and soul into what everything you've done. And thank you. I, I like to think the same for the type of stuff we create oh, as well definitely. too but it, it is important to share it you know it is important to get it out there because i always say if two people like it it's worth it you know <laughs> if one person really gets some p- massive enjoyment out of a creation it's worthwhile yeah you know yeah you know now now might be a good time to plug like um a project i did as a uh, as a man or as a, as a man uh, wearing a man mask or whatever um that uh i did 
an album with some friends uh, under the name Swiss Bank Account called Angel Youth. A- Angel oh, Youth yeah. is, is, I on, that. Um, yeah. is on Bandcamp, actually, um, for sale. And it's a great freaking album. I, I you know, I dial it up. Every- yeah, that was really yeah. great stuff. Yeah, that so I'm really super great. proud of that. Um, and, um, you know, I'm working with a local artist here and trying to get um, a single out. And that's the beginning of the record label, which I believe I'm, I'm leaning towards the name Queered Records. I like it. Uh, Q U E E R E D. Yeah, it may, it makes sense, you know. <laughs> so, um, so that that's that's where I'm at with music. It, it's really it's taken. It took like six years for me to really get my steam back and get over smoking and get get the transition out of the way and get my studio situated and feel like, hey, you know, I have a direction and, and movement. But uh, it's it's really it's I think it's here to stay now, and I'm very excited about that. I'm I'm so happy to hear that because that's a that's a, you know we haven't chatted for a minute, and then I kind of wanted to save everything for this podcast because it's like you know near and dear to me, and I'm I'm so happy to hear that that this really makes me smile. And, uh, yeah, and thank you so much, yeah, yeah, for for you know like inviting me and and uh, it's it's so it's so nice to be able to talk about this stuff. Well, and you were top of mind because I've been there the through the whole journey and uh, not every step of the way because we live in different cities, but you know I definitely follow you on all the socials and stuff, and that leads me to my next question, which is like you you've definitely overcome a lot of challenges, but what do you see your biggest challenges currently, or what do you you know see kind of as a hurdle coming at you you know in the future? I I thought that um, I was over with dysphoria, you know, d- dysphoria being the feeling that, you know, uh, I'm not feminine enough, or um, that you know I'm not I'm not presenting is, um, you know, uh, I, my my presentation is different than who I am, and you know, like the thing is, is that a lot of I mean people people really struggle with this a lot. I mean, I I used to say prior to my transition that. Um, I really only had like one major period dysphoria, which, you know, I mean, that's because everything was suppressed and I was, you know, in a very, very poor place. I was depressed all the time, but I really didn't categorize it as dysphoria until I was like about six months before my transition. I was staying in my mom's place. And I remember like having, you know, like a a bit of a, a bipolar episode and like staring at myself in the mirror and just feeling like I didn't recognize that person. I felt vacant. I felt very empty and hollow. And it, it was a very haunting, t- terrible sensation. Um, and that was by far the most acute kind of dysphoria that I had. But but recently, you know, it's it's been, um, it's very hard to, uh, it's been very hard for me. I, I, I for, you know, you know, like trans women, you know, uh, tra- trans men, whatever, tra- transgender people, non-binary people, we're, we're all like very, very different. Um, I've always uh, struggled with relationships. Um, it, you know, um, I've had very challenging relationships in my life. And it's also been um, very difficult for me to, you know, meet people and engage with them romantically. Uh, <laughs> you can tell I'm talking about it. So, um, <laughs> so technically, um, you can imagine the difficulties I would have. Um Anyway, so that's been a, a super big challenge, and it's also lent a sort of dysphoria. Like, oh gosh, you know, um, am am I am I good enough? Am I worth enough to to other people? Or you know, like, how do I initiate this? Because I've I've had a, you know a few um, a short 
or one long-term relationship, two short-term relationships. Um, and they've all had different characteristics, but you know, it's, it's been a while now and I'm like, geez, you know, like, um, this is a struggle for me now. And I'm having to, you know, address that as you might expect in therapy and things like that. But, um, at least my medication has really improved. So, well, and, and also gender wise, I mean, there's that that and then there's the sexuality side too. I mean, how do you identify on the sexuality side? What oh. you said you've had a few different relationships. I, what, what are those like? Um, and who are you attracted to? Wow. Um, well, I identify as pansexual. Um, so, so like, um, first first relationship I was in was with a trans woman, and I dated like, a, you know, I had a couple dates with a trans woman, uh, and then um, uh, then I dated. A, you know, like a, a, a man, uh, someone who self-identify as a man, maybe a little bit queer, but not like really non-binary or anything. Um, and then um, I dated uh, a lesbian briefly. Uh, um, and that was, that was, uh, that was really interesting too. So like, basically um, I haven't uh, been with someone who's like, you know, identifies as completely androgynous or, you know, totally gender fuck or anything like that. And I, I mean, oh, I don't want to put a scorecard, but it's like, I need to check this off or that off. It's like, I identify, it's like, if I'm attracted to somebody, then it really doesn't matter anything. It like, I, I, you know, whether you're on hormones, you're not on hormones, like it, just it's, open it's, to the possibility. Yeah. And, and I've really, I've really, you know, like worked to, to get to that point, you know, and just be like, look, you know, I, I need to be looking at people who are, who are right for me, regardless of, of gender or presentation. Like, you know, it's, it's much more about the, the quality of, um, you know, the, the basis underneath and, and the, uh, the quality of the attraction. Yeah. Well, and as a friend, I can definitely confirm that you're absolutely worth it. You know, <laughs> you don't, you should not <laughs> question that even if you're staring into the mirror, because there's a lot of really awesome person there for sure. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. You talked a little bit about clothes and like the things that sort of got you excited and helped you feel a little bit more um, yourself, I guess. Um, but uh, what are what are some other things that really excite you that sort of increase that level of happiness? I mean, be it hanging out with people or what you know, whatever else. Obviously, creating is is a big one too. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm a personal believer that happiness is key. Like if you monitor how happy you are, then you continue to attract happiness into your life. And then the right people show up in the right situations, the right opportunities. And you sort of get on a roll where, you know, there may have been the dark times, but, you know, as I like to say, things can go right and they do, you know, but what are some things that kind of get you feeling that way? It's always nice being gendered correctly in the third person. Like when you know somebody's using your pronouns, that, that is something that is just positively gleeful for, um, for trans people, you know, like, um, because you have to work so hard to establish those pronouns. And then when people finally are like, oh yeah, she's over there, you know, Kinsey's over there, she's over there. Um, something like that. Then it's like, ah, you know, because like, um, I mean, uh, you know, just because I've been doing this for six years doesn't mean that, um, I'm totally happy with my presentation. Like, uh, for example, my voice is something that I struggle with. I struggle with it. It's so difficult to keep it on the level because my, my, um, you know, biological voice is much, much deeper. Uh, so, you know, and actually, um, have you done any vocal training or anything like that? Yes, I did. 
yes, I did a, a lot. Um, I, you know, went through, went through a number of months of it, which actually culminated in like a, a, my last vocal lesson didn't happen because I got in a car wreck and then I lost touch with my, oh, my teacher. I just, yeah, it was this awful car wreck. Um, so, um, that was a few years ago and, um, yeah. So even, even if, I mean, I really, um, I don't like to do the, um, uh, with the, like the um, party trick of like lowering my voice and you know, but my my male voice was much deeper. This is like you know more of the to me it feels like the higher end of my male voice, but it's just really voice is so difficult. But th- we're talking about good things. So being being yeah. gendered correctly, in spite of all this stuff, like people just being like, okay, I accept you as a non-binary person. You know, like I accept you whoever you are, like whatever your presentation is, that level of acceptance is really important to me because I don't identify, I really don't identify as male anymore, but um, I, I, I identify as, as somebody who, um, who, who struggles to present um, the way that I would like to. I mean, um, you know, um, and and that you know I could get potentially voice surgery, but I really don't want to the, the specialized voice surgery that's necessary because there's like this older voice surgery that's not that good. But then there's like a newer one that they do in like South Korea and like maybe in New Jersey. But I don't feel like traveling, you know. Right. Um. So being gendered correctly, in re- you know, regardless of all this stuff, is is really a wonderful thing. And then also, you know, like um, I I mean, it's really. Uh, I, I, I used this term earlier, but but feeling like I have that feminine power, whatever that is, you know, um, that that people perceive that, you know, like when when I'm like really dolled up to the max, ah, oh, it makes me so happy. I, I'm just in a good mood because you know, because I'm presenting in, in a way that I feel fully capable. But it's authentic. It's, yes, yes. It but it's very hard to to get there because of uh, you know like all, all the the biology that got in the way for as many years. If I had transitioned when I was like 20, 21 or something, you know, like I, I would have a much more you know feminine body. And these are things that are hard to part with. But but ultimately knowing that I did it, knowing knowing that I committed to it, that it was something that it was actually a really really natural thing to do, and a lot of the fears that I had they were they were real, you know. But I was able to get through that stuff, and ultimately I did something that was better for my mental health. Yeah. And this is th- that that's probably between being gendered correctly and knowing that I did the right thing, and that you know my bipolar did ease up, and that I wasn't harming as many people in my life because I was having you know quite the severity of like manic episodes and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's that's really satisfying. Well, and medically, what all decisions did you make um, throughout so far? And are there? You, you mentioned you considering some vocal surgery. Are there other things you're considering for the future as well? Yeah. Um, well, it's a few things. Uh, laser for one thing. Um, I got I got laser on my face. I still need to get another round of it to really get the rest of it. Some people do electrolysis, but my uh, facial hair is very dark. Um, but that also means I've been shaving for like six years, and if I don't shave every day, then then it's a problem. Uh, so yeah, I need to get the rest of my laser done. I've just been lazy about it, uh, which which characterizes a lot of my transition is that you know the, I, if I'm feeling lazy, I don't leave my house. Um, uh, that that's just kind of how it works. Um, but uh, also HRT, I've been I've been on HRT um, for like five and a half years. I think I, I started uh, my transition in June, and by October I'd started um, uh, hormone replacement therapy, is what HRT stands for. Um, 
Um, I got some Botox uh, on my forehead because I had these furrowed lines. And actually, Botox lasts a long time because I haven't had any problems with furrowed. I mean, I, I could probably use a little bit of an update now, like five years later. But but yeah, Botox lasts forever for me anyway. Uh, and um, I got some filler... Um, in, in my, uh, I had like these smile lines that I kind of had that, that fixed. Um, and I'm considering getting more filler because I have like these, uh, my, my eyes are kind of recessed. And I think if I, uh, if I filled that in, so this is more of an age thing more than anything. Um, uh, as far as facial feminization surgery, you know, I mean, a lot of my reality is like, I want you to accept me as me. I, you know, like I am in a lot of ways I'm feminine presenting, but we're the non-binaries binary comes for me is that I'm gender ambivalent as long as it doesn't have to do with like the toxic kind of things that have emerged with masculinity, like these, these, these features um, often characterized. I mean, we could the toxic masculinity. I don't even really want to talk about it that much, but, but um, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of examples. I mean, uh, personally, I, I uh, don't mean to alienate much of the audience, but I, I have difficulty with sports, like the mentality. Um, I, I, um, I had some very difficult times uh, living in a small town, dealing with like sporting events and stuff like that and having to be on, on the uh, the basketball team or the track team or whatever, and um, that was some some of the worst times of my life, honestly. Um, so, um, dealing with that stuff was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's definitely not for everybody. I mean, it's. I mean, I know a lot of people that are not into that, even regardless. You know, like yeah, but there, but there are masculine features that you know, like. Um, I mean, I'm. It's hard when you start stereotyping things like being like, "Well, yeah, I'm into science." Well, it's like you know, there should be more girls in science if if they weren't getting pushed out of it, for example. Um, Well, generalizations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. gender generalizations, and that's why I say I'm kind of ambivalent. Is that you know, like now now that I've gotten to the point where I'm at. I don't really need to push it. I've I've thought about getting um, breast implants, and I kind of go back and forth on it. Honestly, um, I like what hormones have done for me. I'm but I'm I'm a very big person with only like a a cup breasts unless I put padding and stuff in. So it's you know uh, which which I do. But then sometimes I have shirts that actually I feel comfortable in. The, the thing is that I'm I'm so comfortable with my non binaryness now that that I don't necessarily feel the need to change it. Yeah. Well, and it's not a race. I mean, like I was, we were saying in last time, it's not like you get a gold star of achievement for any particular one thing. You know, it's like you really just yeah. continue to explore what makes you the happiest and make you feel like your most authentic self. Because the hormones have really, you know, like um, over the years, they've really carved out what I want to, like facially. I mean, between that and like contouring, which is a, you know, makeup technique, once you learn like contouring, um, you, you can really do some interesting things with your face. Um, and, and, you know, like, uh, by, by creating shadows where there aren't typically shadows. Um, and, and so, you know, like you can make more pronounced cheekbones and stuff like that. And it doesn't take that long. So, so, um, yeah, I get between clothing and all the other things I get pretty much where, um, I want to be, but you know, a, a lot of it is like, I don't want to try and that's who I am. Like, I want to try much harder and why should I have to conform to gender expectations, which is much different than when I started. Because when I started, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be, you know, perfect. I'm going to be perfect. It's, you know, I just had such a almost fifties kind of view of like, you know, femininity. And then once I got in the thick of it and, you know, being non-binary and like having to admit like, hey, 
I'm queer and I've been queer for a long time. Like that's why I had so many problems in high school and stuff like that is because I was queer presenting and I didn't even know it. Now I know I'm queer presenting. Am I, am I going to turn my back on this or am I going to, you know, work with it? And, and so that, that's kind of where I'm at, where the, the surgeries and stuff are just like, um, it's been much more powerful for me to develop a sense of acceptance about where I'm at and be very selective about what I want to do because it is it is an art project as well. <laughs> well, I love that. I mean, it's another expression of cre- of your creativity too. You know, I mean, like however you choose to move forward with all of that, I think it's really great. Yeah. Well, Kinsey, I, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and sharing your story because I think it's relatable to a lot of people and I really hope that someone out there listening is, you know, this sheds some light for them and, you know, as, as we've said, if you ever, anybody wants to reach out, you can email us at podcast at subtractive.net and we'll put that in the descriptions and uh, you'll be able to find it on all our socials and things like that too. Yeah. You know, I really, really do appreciate the time and the openness that you shared with us today on Trans Story Episode 4. Oh, yeah. I, I um, Thank you for the insightful questions. It really, you know, like I really had to dig there. That was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trans Story. Be sure to check back for our future episodes. They'll be posted weekly. If you'd like to send us an email, just send us an email at podcast at subtractive.net. Trans Story was recorded at Subtractive Inc. in Santa Monica, California. Copyright 2019. Let's make one